Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. We had a little communication issue there, but um, we're on the air. Of course, we had to be on the air because today is a very important show. We are having Mr. Curtis Ellis. He's America's first analyst. He's the policy director of America's First Policy. And he'll be here in a couple of minutes. Uh, in the meantime, so many things are, are happening right now. It's unbelievable. But you know what? We'll, 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 we'll tackle this a little, in a little while. So if you have something that you want a question for Mr. Ellis, we'll do that in a minute. But as I was saying, we have a lot of issues that are, are happening. New York City. The state of New York is getting crippled hard. I mean, there's been an increase of coronavirus cases through, up to the moment, infected 37,528. People who have deceased, 385. Is New York City and New York State going to become the Lombardy uh, uh, of Italy? The northern part of Italy, which has had so many incident, so many uh, individuals that have been deceased by the coronavirus. But anyway, let me bring in um, and call Mr. Ellis, who who's been waiting on the line, um, who I I've been meaning to put on uh, as soon as. But we have some technical uh, trying to get in touch with Mr. Um, getting a Block Talk Radio had some issues today, so. We'll we'll get Mr. Ellis on the line right now, and and then enjoy a great show that we have every week for everyone who listens and tunes in every week. So as we get Mr. Ellis on the line, um, I want to make sure that that um, people understand that this coronavirus has become not just a United States problem, but a global problem. And we'll discuss that in a minute. All right, let me just get Mr. Ellis on the line, and we'll take it from there. Cisco. Hello. <laughs> we have some technical difficulties, but as you may know, uh, technology tends to work 99% of the time, but occasionally we'll have an issue with technology. But welcome, welcome. Um, to, uh, American ingenuity conquers all in the end. You got it. <laughs> so we have um, my co-host, uh, Mr. Falsone, Mark Falsone on the air. And um, we have an, uh, a caller who's just waiting. And we'll basically, um, I didn't have a, time, a, a chance to uh, introduce yourself, introduce you, but can you go ahead and, and, and introduce yourself to the uh, I'll introduce uh, myself. Sure. Thanks for having me. This, my name is Curtis Ellis. I am the policy director for America First Policies. I was a senior policy advisor on the Trump uh, campaign in 2016 and uh, on the presidential transition team, served in the administration, and now I'm with the president's official super PAC, America First, as their policy director. We've been working very hard to get him reelected and to support his legislative agenda, make sure that uh, the 
USMCA, the Mexico trade deal got passed, that the tax cuts got through, that the immigration policies have been upheld, and it's uh, it's been a great fight, and now we're, we're there supporting the president through this very difficult time that the nation's going through. Well, Curtis, I think uh, you are an unsung hero in the 2016 election, because after researching and, and looking at your background, you, 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 you made a huge contribution in regards to getting the president elected. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that uh, greatly. I was proud to support the president. I've been, the president is the man I've been waiting for. Donald J. Trump is the man I've been waiting for for 15 years to come along. I've been fighting in the trenches uh, against the uh, devastating, misguided, so-called trade policies that uh, outsourced all of our vital industries to China and sounding the alarm on the dangers of dependency on communist China. And in doing so, I built bridges with the labor movement, with the union households, the, the men and women, many of whom are members of unions, others who simply have benefited from the contracts negotiated by these yeah. union guys over the years. And these are people who have traditionally voted uh, Democratic but knew that there was a problem with NAFTA, thanks to Bill Clinton, and, with, and then these other crummy trade deals, which outsourced all their jobs, and they were waiting for someone to come along to talk about this. And when President Trump, then-candidate Donald J. Trump, came along, uh, I was there as a conductor on the Trump train, punching their tickets and getting them on board. And this is how we broke through the blue wall in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin. And uh, it's thanks to a lot of these people who had been traditional supporters of the Democratic Party, uh, they're the ones who carried President Trump to victory. Yeah, and there's been there's been a lot of conversations on the key states like Pennsylvania, like Wisconsin, you know, the the, um, the heart of the Bible Belt, and uh, a lot of the manufacturing, the blue collar worker. And you know, we had that incident uh, a couple of weeks ago where Joe Biden really insulted uh, one of the uh, blue collar workers. I think it was in Detroit. And how, how does, and I, I know you've rep, you've, you're, you're, you're a union member yourself. I mean, you've been a union member. I am, and, yeah. Proud member of a union, yep. yeah. But, and my dad was a proud member of, uh, of the teachers union in New York City. Um, I just, I, I, I cannot understand why would uh, Democrats, and I, I was a Democrat at one time, and I couldn't, at that point, I was so into the this uh, uh, the Republicans are for the rich, the Democrats are for the poor, and and, and you know I bought into that lie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, sure. And then I started convincing my, I started analyzing as I got older, and I'm like, wait a minute, but if Bill Clinton signs a a, a NAFTA agreement with Mexico and, and, and Canada, basically giving away and and really crippling the unions. Indirectly, right. And then Obama and, and the rest of the Democrats come. How come we keep voting for the same individuals that are actually pushing the jobs away? And then comes along Donald Trump, and I'm saying, okay, this is a man who's going to put America first, fair trade for us also, uh, and now 
we see a trend of Democrats now starting to vote for Donald Trump. Is that a trend that's going to be consistent enough to in 2020 to get him reelected again? Yes. And yes, absolutely. And this 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 pandemic we're seeing now, the, I call it the CCP virus, right? You, you can't call it the Chinese virus because then you're a racist. So let's call it the Chinese Communist Party virus because that's, that's who created this. I don't mean created in a laboratory. I mean they arrested the doctors who tried to sound the alarm and wake people up and say, hey, we, you know, let's do something. We got to, you know. Uh, tamp down this virus, and ah, you're under arrest. You, we don't want to ups, uh, upset the people, you know. And it's, so it's the CCP virus. This CCP virus that has now been unleashed on the world and unleashed on America is further drives home the message and keeps reminding people. It was President Trump who stood up to China. It's President Trump who said we have to put America first and uh, protect our borders, protect what comes across our borders. It was President Trump who said, we have to bring manufacturing back to America. We can't be dependent on foreign countries for everything. And everybody told us, uh, told, told, told us who have been, who've been aware of this for a long time, oh, you're wackos. And they, they, told President, they said, President Trump's a racist for talking that way. He's a Nazi nationalist for talking about America first. He's, he's, a, he's a xenophobe and racist for wanting borders. And he's being unfair to, uh, to Asians everywhere for, for actually sounding the alarm about communist China. Well, now this proves him, this reminds everybody because he's not backing down. That's what we love about President Trump. He does not back down. He's not afraid of a fight. In fact, this guy runs towards the guns. You know, I mean, he's he's a real warrior there. He's a, he's and a New Yorker. He's, a, he's New Yorker. a New Yorker. Thank you. As am I. I'm sitting here in Manhattan right now. Uh, Bill de Blasio wants to chain me to the radiator, you know, lock me down. But I'm not going to let him. You know? but, uh, we we love a fight, and we're not afraid of a fight. And we know it's 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 challenges that make us tougher. It's challenges that make us stronger. And everybody's looking for a safe space. And you're going to hunker down and stay in the basement and shelter in place. And Donald Trump says we want to get back to work. We're going to do it safely. We're going to find a way to do it, and we will do it. And there's so, but it reminds per the 2020 election. This just brings out the best. Look, this is a thing that. It is challenges and difficult times that bring out the best in people. This has brought out the best in President Trump. It's brought out the best in American people, and it's brought out the best per the election. It shows the contrast between a guy who is clear-eyed about the threats we face from China, which is when we talk about China and you talk to the, the union guys and the, the union households and the women and the, uh, you know, the, by guys, I mean, you know, guys and gals, right? When you talk to, when you say China, that is a, a whole uh, array of issues about my job got sent away. My kid can't work in the plant that I worked in and my father worked in. I don't have hope for a future. I'm afraid my job could be shut down. My community that used to have a, a softball team and a car dealership and was a prospering place is now a, a desolate mess, and there's like drug addiction everywhere because there ain't no jobs and ain't no hope. You're talking about a whole complex of issues and realities that uh, – 
that that people understand that the voters understand that uh, the voters in these crucial states understand and the contrast between President Trump who's not afraid to talk about this and bring it up and he's now and now we have the virus which shows just how toxic China's influence on America has been in a very real immediate way and you contrast that with the Democrats and and Joe Biden who's a joke nobody takes him seriously who I mean, nobody even listens to him. So when he says, come on, man, China's not our competitor, it's like, you're a fool, okay? You're a fool. But the bigger picture they keep saying is, we're all in this together, viruses know no borders, and, and it's really racist to shut down travel from China, and we should just cooperate with China. I actually, you want to hear a good story today? I, I, I couldn't believe this. I mean, this one, I thought I'd heard everything, right? I really did. I thought I'd heard everything is bad enough for the liberals. They're out there parroting the Chinese propaganda that uh, uh, America is uh, America's wrong to blame China for the virus. America's hopelessly behind the curve, and China handled it well. Excuse me, China unleashed this on the world. I thought I'd heard everything from the liberal drivel. Today, I got a new one. I was a friend from California. She's very liberal. You know, she's she's married to a very wealthy guy and you know she grew up very wealthy and you know you know wants to take everybody's guns away and you know yada yada the whole the whole nine yards right and she went to the best schools and i you know so i gave her credit for some intelligence you know as i always give people the benefit of the doubt right <laughs> so she's you know she texts me and is like i hope you're okay I said, yeah i'm fine and you know it, it, thank you for asking i'm i'm fine i'm holding up uh, i didn't let Bill de Blasio chained me to the radiator. I can still go out and take a walk in the park. It's okay. And I said, you know, as weird times we live in. And I tell you, this virus has proven everything I've been saying about China has proven me right. That everything I've been saying about being dependent on China for all of our manufactured goods, about outsourcing to China. Now when you can't get face masks and you can't get ventilators, you, you see what was wrong with that whole thing. And she, she answers me. She texts me back. This is the liberal mindset at work here. says, I have a differing view. I, I, I think it was wrong to pick a fight and now end up here. It's yeah. like, hello, Neville Chamberlain. What? <laughs> Paging Neville Chamberlain. It's like, <laughs> you, know, you know, this is something you can, you can end, uh, provide to your liberal friend. China sent 150,000 test kits to the Czech Republic. 80% of them failed. Right, they, they failed. It's more cheap Chinese junk. Communist quality control, full failure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, excuse me, who picked this fight? China picked this fight 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They're out to, they're out to bury us. What? And then they threaten us. Uh, China actually threatens us and says, you know, if you don't play nice, we're, maybe we just will stop sending medicine. Well, what kind of country would yeah. threaten to kill innocent civilians uh, by not sending life-saving medicines? I'll tell you what kind of country it is. It's, you know, paging Neville Chamberlain, a piece in our time. It's like it's time for everybody to realize. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I will for a moment. Go ahead. Go ahead. You cut you because I always do. It is time for people. We have to stop pussyfooting around here. We are dealing with an avowed enemy. Communist China is not another country. 
It is a totalitarian dictatorship that is intent on destroying America. They have said so. They have said so. You know, uh, Menachem Begin said the lesson of the Holocaust was if people say they want to kill Jews, believe them. Right. So in this case, when China says it wants to destroy America, believe them. Don't be investing money there. We're still hearing the same nonsense from the from the from the industrial elite, from the financial elite saying that a page a letter was just sent to the White House today from the pharmaceutical manufacturers saying, uh, the idea of bringing supply chains back to the United States, not a good idea. We have these globalized supply chains, and that's what allows us to make affordable medicines. This is nonsense. This is not – don't you see? China has threatened to cut off the medicines. Already India has said they will not export chloroquine to the United States. They want to keep it for themselves, right? right. 54 countries have export restrictions in place on medical equipment they're not people even even our allies germany france italy great britain our so-called allies they have export restrictions in place they will not send ventilators to the united states phillips a dutch company has a ventilator plant in pittsburgh and they're worried that president trump might do something and prevent those ventilators being made in pittsburgh from being shipped they want to ship them to europe (laughs) <laughs> and President Trump, they're all oh, please don't step in and, and keep those ventilators here in America. Well, uh, I'm not saying you should do that. But you see, we need to make things in this country because when push comes to shove and things get tough, these other countries are not going to go singing John Lennon's song, imagine there's no borders and there's no countries and there's no religion. Uh, no, they're going to say, we will take care of ourselves and you guys, the rest of you can wait. It's uh, so they're still pushing the 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 the, the globalist the the global Democratic Party. Now the Democratic Party has been taken over by the rich people. The Democratic Party has been taken over by the professional class, the professional uh, Goldman Sachs types, the investment bankers, the professional media people. All the prof- It's not a blue collar party anymore. Democratic Party is the party of the academic elites, the college graduate, Mm -hmm. the people who work in the college graduate, postgraduate degree professions. That's who's taken over the Democratic Party. They took it over after 1968. All the new left people, I was around then. I'm I'm old enough to remember all this, and I remember quite well when the Vietnam War was going on and you had all the campus riots and all the students for democratic society and these left-wing uh, communist sympathizer organizations took over Columbia University and college campuses everywhere. They eventually took over the Democratic Party, and they pushed out the union people. They pushed out the the, the working class people, and they replaced it with so many uh, women and so many gay rights advocates and so many blacks and so many Hispanics. All of the whole identity politics thing, right. and that became and and the environmentalists and that became the issues they cared about: abortion rights, uh, environmental, uh, this and that, and you know down the down the list. And and you see it today: Green New Deal, identity right. politics abortion on demand, and they even try to fit that in this uh, coronavirus uh, stimulus bill. It's like, oh. I was just going to go there. You know, (laughs) Pelosi's 
pork bill included emission controls, uh, DACA. Wait a minute. What does that have to do with the coronavirus? And, and I, I wanted to get to you because you've been mentioning de Blasio, and de Blasio, uh, you know, he, he's complaining that uh, Ms., uh, Donald Trump, the president, has not helped enough, you know, to for getting him the protective gear for the health care workers, the mask. Well, Mr. de Blasio gave $500 million to provide health care for illegal immigrants in the state of uh, New York City, New York State. <laughs> so what, what happened to that money? That money should have gone to the health care worker instead of complaining today that President Trump is not giving the sufficient funding to take care of his city and the city that we love from there. Uh, and I just don't see that as something that should be called out, that Mr. de Blasio was providing millions of dollars to illegals instead of taking care of the health work, health care workers. That's right. And when, and you know, there's this, the story in the New York Post today. New York Post, you got the picture on the front page of the nurses wearing garbage bags, right? Yeah. Wearing hefty bags. Yeah. And, but you read the story and you read down into the story and they say this hospital has been shorting on supplies for a year now. So for a year, this hospital has been skimping on supplies. So somebody in, I don't know if it was in the city government or the state or, or somewhere in the management of that hospital, they have been, they've been negligent. They have been negligent. They have not been uh, enforcing. And, and here, after the, the last H1N1 pandemic in 2009, the federal mm -hmm. government never restocked its supplies right. of personal protective equipment and all of this stuff. And again, not to sound like a broken record, again, which geniuses on Wall Street, which geniuses uh, at the top of these hospital corporations, which geniuses at the top of the 3M and, you know, the manufacturers decided, oh, well, let's just make everything in China because that'll make us richer. And who cares if nurses and hospitals and doctors uh, don't have protective equipment? We're, we're just going to we're going to outsource that, move all those uh, move all that production overseas. And that'll be the end of the story. We'll get rich and everybody else uh, will tell them, you know, hurry up and wait. It's a. Uh, so, and, and de Blasio, I mean, he's got a lot of nerve. I mean, you've probably yeah. seen, the, I'm sure you've seen it by now. He was out there on February 9th telling everybody to go to the Chinatown, uh, go to Chinatown, go to the big parade. February 9th is already, they, everybody knew there was like this disease going around. Go to, go to Chinatown, go to the Lunar New Year parade. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. March 11th, he was saying the same thing. Go out there and, and, you know, all this stuff about coronavirus, that's just like racist this nonsense i mean dude yeah you know you know you know you know, you know bill de blasio that's not his real name you know that right and no he's, he's a fraud this guy's a fraud he's, and he's, a fool he's a fraud and and every time i get a chance to expose them the blasios and the cuomos because they're a bunch of hypocrites because they're, they're trying to blame pass the blame to the president and pass the blame to the republicans when it's their own Issue. I mean, there's an issue that should have been taken care of. I mean, from the city council uh, to the mayor to the uh, to the governor. 
I mean, the buck supposed to stop there. Not in the, you know, the president is not in charge of taking care of all the city needs. Right. And now uh, de Blasio is out there uh, talking about uh, this. There's not enough aid in the package in this new stimulus bill that came in. There's not enough for New York. Not enough for New York. Well, why don't you pick, call, pick up the phone and call your friend Chuck Schumer? Uh, the, the two senators from New York are both Democrats. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, how did they drop the ball? And you have Elliot Engel. Every time, I, every other picture I see of Nancy Pelosi, Elliot Engel from the Bronx is standing next to her. And on the other side, you got uh, you got that that schmo, uh, Jerry Nadler, on the other side of her. And last I checked, they're both from New York City. So, what the hell are these people doing? Well, we know what they're doing. They were so concerned about impeachment, they couldn't even think about coronavirus because it would have been racist to think about coronavirus. So they were like so fixated on impeachment, they could do nothing else. And then uh, it goes from one thing to another. After we're impeachment crazy, then we're coronavirus crazy. And it's always President Trump's fault. You know, here's the thing, uh, is that you had a situation where the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi impeached President Trump for withholding aid from Ukraine. But in the process, what they were doing is they were withholding aid from America. Mm-hmm. They, kept us, they kept the government so paralyzed, fixated on this fantasy, this wild goose chase, this made-up delusion that right. they, were, they, they, they withheld the critical aid that we needed. We had weeks to get prepared, and they said not one word about it because they were so so crazed over this impeachment fantasy that they couldn't even fixate on the real problem out there. And for the last three years, before this impeachment nonsense came along, they were pushing this delusion about Russia. And all that time, China has been drilling into our country, drilling into our nerves, drilling into our our computers, stealing information, setting us up for absolute ruin. That's the real enemy here. That's the real enemy that this country faces. Just like we faced a, a, a resurgent Germany in the 1930s, we have a real threat here. The same way we faced the Soviet Union in the 1950s and 60s, we have a determined, well-armed foe that has stated their aim to destroy our country, but the Democrats are too busy on this fantasy about Russia. And, and, and look, Russia is not our friend. Russia is a very poor country that has nuclear weapons. That's what they are. They have oil and gas and nuclear weapons and vodka and, and, and very pretty women. <laughs> and that's all they have. And they have a lot of sables and, and, and you know, fur-bearing animals. That's what they have. That's all they have. And uh, China has technology. They have universities. They have a big army. Uh, you know what they have. I don't have to go through the whole list. They are a very determined foe, very disciplined. Yeah, I, I, I have traveled through China and Taiwan um, on numerous occasions, and uh, I, I, I know what, who, who we're facing, but I, w- I want to touch on something here that, that – and, and, and let me ask you the, this question. Yeah. 
how come there's not more Democrats, union members out there like you that are actually out in the circuit speaking and, 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 and defending and supporting uh, President Trump? There is. That's a good question. Uh, I've been to the Midwest. I've been out to Ohio and, and places like that, and I, I meet plenty of union members that support the president. You've got this. Uh, you've got this split in the in the union in the unions. There's a couple of splits. Okay. There's a split between different unions. You, the building trades, Teamsters. Folks like that, very supportive of the president. The public sector unions, a lot of the teachers' unions, but the government workers' unions, forget about it. Those people, not so much. But the bigger split that I see and that everyone else sees is between the national leadership and the rank-and-file members. And uh, the national leadership, the folks that at the very top that are in, in Washington – Mm-hmm. They're they're just a wholly owned subsidiary of the Democratic Party. They will always ad- endorse the presidential, the Democratic candidate, whoever it is. It could be a, you know, a box of cornflakes has a D <laughs> next to it. That's they'll they'll endorse it. And the but the rank the the, the members they are they think for themselves and they they are supportive of the president and. The other split is between some of the locals, the local leadership, right? You'll find leaders of locals right. that will support the president. But uh, in, in many cases, the locals, the, the, the local, and they're all elected, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the head of local 235 in you know, Marion, Ohio, is elected by the members there. And so many of those local presidents will support the president, but they're afraid of getting sideways with yep. the higher ups, so they won't be so vocal about it, right? They'll they'll down the line they'll tell the president, but when they get orders from the national of like you know the union supporting the Democrat and you know get your members out there and please put it please put that in your newsletter that you know who to vote for and here's the voter guide, you know so they they're kind of caught in the middle. And that's that, that, that's the problem. So that, that's you're, you're you're basically what I'm getting what I'm getting from you is that even though a lot of the rank and file members and some of the local um, members they they'll they'll basically pretend that they're actually supporting the Democrat, but really when they get to the voting booth, they're going to vote for Trump. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah. And that's what happened in 2016. Right? Exactly, and tell me this: You're a member of the union, right? You're you're a member, and you're sitting at home having dinner, and a phone call comes in, and it's a pollster, right? Polling: Who are you going to vote for? You don't know who's on the other end of the line, right? Now your job depends on the union, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it's a whether it's a daily muster or, or a weekly muster, you know, in one sense or another, your job and your continued employment. The, the the union leadership has a voice in that, right? Right. And when it, when it's time to trim payroll or, you know, you so when that pollster asks who you're going to vote for, you're going to tell them who you think the union leader wants you to say because you don't know who that pollster is. 
You don't right. know who that. So <laughs> it becomes. It's, it's, it's similar. It's similar to the African American community that are, are basically growing in numbers of supporting the president. They're not going to come out and reveal that they're going to vote for President Trump. So when the pollsters call, they'll say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm still going to. I'm, I'm voting for a Democrat." But in reality, that, those numbers are going to. I think the numbers. And correct me if I'm wrong. Those numbers are going to be even higher this time around because. They've actually shown, President Trump has actually shown that he is for the blue-collar worker. He is for, for the different communities, and he's for the American people, and uh, America first, right? That's right. And, and look, there's, there, there are a few dynamics going on which are really, uh, really, really interesting, which nobody in the mainstream media and the corporate media discuss because they're not very clever people out there. I used to work in media, by the way. I, I, I worked for MSNBC when it launched. I, I worked for CNN. I, I was a writer over there and a producer okay. and uh, Associated Press. I mean, I, I, I've been through broadcast, print, online, all kinds of media. Uh, and, and some of them are good, but this was years ago. The ones I see out there now, oh my gosh. Uh, not very clever, but there's a couple of dynamics going on. First of all, you got to remember with the African American community, what 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 blacks have gone through in this country, they're very skilled at lying and covering up, and they have to be. That's one of the survival skills, considering yeah. the the type of uh, just uh, over the over the centuries. You mm-hmm. know, you tell people what they want to hear so you can get on with your life. Just leave me alone. Yeah, yes, sir. Okay, right. Thanks. I'm out of here. And so there's – and the other dynamic, too, is when you see the president being persecuted, okay, let's put it this way. When – if you say the FBI is not treating this guy right and they're framing him, and you're talking about the president, right, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and the whole thing and Bob Mueller, it's like they are framing him. They are planting evidence. They are not treating them right. They're not telling the truth. They're, you know, lying about the interviews. You ask a black person, gee, could the police do that? What do you think they're going to say? They say, damn right they do that. (laughs) But you got the, you know, these idiot reporters on TV. Oh, no, you know, you got to stand by the police. The police are great. You know, how dare you criticize the FBI? The FBI would never do anything like that. It's like, excuse me? Oh, what? <laughs> it's like, uh, that's what they did to Martin Luther King. The FBI persecuted Martin Luther King. And, okay. you know, it's, uh, they, they, they tapped his phones. They set him up. They tried to get him to commit suicide. They did everything. So you've got that. And then the other thing is, like, that, that just really galls me about the leftists is – They've 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 just the liberals have bought into the far left rhetoric of the of of the uh, of the students for democratic society from 1969. The fact of the matter is, and you know this, everybody in this country, I don't care what color you are, what ethnicity you are, they all we all want they all want the same thing. 
Exactly. You want a good job. You want to be able to support your family. You want to be able to enjoy your family life, have enough time that you're not working all the time, that you can enjoy your family, take a vacation, and, and give your kid, a, you know, they've got a good education and a shot of the future so they can go on and start a family and, and, and have the same thing. And that's what everybody wants. It doesn't matter what color you are. It's not about, I want my national identity. I want my ethnic identity. And I want the, you know, the... The, the Soviet Socialist Republic of Blackistan or, you know, LGBTistan or – no, I want to be an American and have a good job and have fun, go out on the weekend, you know, take my kids to Disney World and, you know, go to the beach. You know? yeah. Well, I, no, I, I, I completely understand the position these individuals from the unions and, and, and the African-American community, even the Hispanic community and other communities, take, they're not going to reveal. They're going to go in there in the voting booth. So I, and I'm not, I don't have a, a magic wand or, but I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, at, at a landslide in 2020. What do you look looking at? Well, I, it's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be tough. And you see these people play dirty. And uh, this whole thing was uh, this this whole Russia thing uh, was a way to smear him. And then when that fell apart, they came up with this impeachment. They knew they would never remove him from office, but they thought that would be another negative attack. And and whoever became the Democratic nominee could say, well, let's restore honor to the White House. You can't vote for a man who's been impeached. Everybody's forgotten about that because now you've got this viral, this pandemic that came along. And they played up the fear factor so much. And they're so intent. And now it's like, how dare he reopen the economy? How dare we go back to work? They want a recession. They want 30% unemployment because they think that's going to get them reelected. I think that the president is a wartime president now, and he will be judged on how we deal with this, uh, with this situation, with the pandemic and the economic fallout from it. And I believe that there will be a comeback. We're going to have the great American comeback from this, 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 this terrible situation that's happened. And as I said at the beginning, it proves him right. It proves his America first agenda Right, and we could well have a landslide, but it's all to be determined in what happens in the next three months. Right. In the next three months, uh, and if we're in good shape uh, economically and health-wise, uh, he will be reelected with a larger margin than he was last time electorally and in the popular vote. But notice what they slipped into this yes. this bill, the vote by mail thing. Yes, yes. That is an invitation for voter fraud. Oh yeah. They what they want to do, mm-hmm. and they're now going to take it to the state level because they wanted to get it mandated. They wanted the federal mandate in this bill. They didn't get that. Instead, they got some type of open door that they're going to kick it open and they're going to try to push it through on the state level. That everybody will be mailed an absentee ballot everybody gets mailed an absentee ballot no questions asked and same day voter registration 
So I don't know how you can have same-day voter registration and get mailed an absentee ballot, right? Uh, I mean, I haven't even registered yet, but I'm going to get a ballot in the mail. <laughs> and anyone can return it for you. You don't have to return it. You can say – somebody can come to your door and say, please let me vote for you, basically. I will vote for you. Now, what could possibly go wrong with a setup like that? I mean, <laughs> this is, they're going back to the days of Boss Tweed. You know, a little history lesson here. Yeah. Back in the 1890s, it used to be uh, you didn't have the secret ballot. Everybody knew who you voted for. And so what happened was the local party boss came around and said, Oh, my little friend, hey, you voted yet. Let me tell you who you're voting for. And uh, here, let me vote for you. I'll take your ballot. I'll fill it out for you, and I'll take it down and vote for you. You sure would like to get that turkey on Christmas, wouldn't you? So I'll take care of it for you. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it worked. Well, and I, that's- I, don't, I don't think the Democrats have learned from the uh, fiasco that the Iowa caucus created. <laughs> uh, should we remind them of that fiasco that they had there? But I mean, I, I just I just find it comical that Pelosi and and her uh, cronies they really believe that we're stupid when it comes to these things uh, and not being able to analyze what they're trying to do. But I want I want to touch on on again back to the blue collar. So the the the, the critical crucial battleground states again the Michigans the Pennsylvanians the uh, the uh, Ohio, having Republican governors and some of them, and some of them that are not really true Republican, but they're impersonating, they're rhinos. Right. How do you see that different? Like, for example, in Ohio, Ohio had Kasich, which was, he was not a friend of, of, of President Trump, but he still, he, he still did really well there. Uh, right. Yeah. How do you, how, how are you seeing the different, the shape of the of the, these different states compared to 2016 with our different governor. Because the, the one well, yeah, that, that this this could be problematic. Uh, yeah. Ohio's in good shape. Mike DeWine, Republican, he's yeah. uh, he he's in and he's a loyalist. He's much better than Kasich was. Yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania and uh, Michigan have Democratic governors. Yeah. Michigan yeah. now has same day registration. So there's an open invitation for fraud, yeah. uh, for voter fraud. And the margin of victory in Michigan was very narrow. Yeah. Uh, Wisconsin, I, I believe they have a Democratic governor yeah, now. Yeah, yep, and uh, it could be problematic there. So as I say, this is going to be a tough battle. Uh, it, there's a very high probability of fraud. There's going to be legal battles. Uh, the Democrats were overconfident last time and did not expect to see Donald J. Trump win. This time, they are going to pull out all the stops. They're going to empty the graveyards, empty the mausoleums, and <laughs> just just get everybody out to the, <laughs> to the voting booth. Um, I heard that the somebody was telling me last time around, North Philadelphia – uh, Democratic stronghold, mm-hmm. uh, Democrat. The 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 po- the, pa- the polling places were empty in 2016. Y- y- no lines, 
very thin turnout. You can be sure they will be turning out every vote they can uh, across that state. So we're going to have to do our work. Uh, we're going to have to work extra hard. Uh, America First Policies, the organization I'm with, we're working on voter registration to much of the surprise of many people. A lot of Trump supporters, a lot of the people that come out to those big rallies that he has aren't even registered to vote. We can't have that. We must get every supporter of this president registered and casting a ballot. And how are you, how are you going about doing that, trying to get – do you have individuals at these rallies signing them up? Uh, yes, yes. We're doing it every way we can. We have people person to person signing it up. We're using mail. We're using the Internet. We're using telephones to reach the people that are our supporters, that are the president's supporters. We're using every means, by every means necessary, we're reaching out and getting them. We've identified them and getting them to register. And that's a... and the other side's doing the same thing as well. You know, so it, it, this is going to be this is trench warfare. This is going to be hand-to-hand combat in November. Uh, the the all of the optics or the the outward appearances, president's support is strong and growing, but it's going to come down to the nitty-gritty of a uh, you know grind. The but, but Curtis, uh, and you 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 have a. Excellent, excellent, and a lot of experience and excellent background in, in, in these type of uh, elections and being part of the uh, the Transpac, uh, Pacific Partnership with the trade agreement with Jeff Sessions, Stephen Miller, and Stephen Bannon. But I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the Democrats, and I'm, I'm looking at a party that's split. You got the you got the Bernie Sanders and the uh, Alexandro Casio and, and the uh, the mod squad. Right, <laughs> the odd squad. <laughs> the odd squad, and then you have the the, the establishment uh, Democrats, the Bidens and, and and the Clintons, and the. I see a split there. If Bernie Sanders and I've said this on my show, and I, I was on the show, and I'll say it, and I've said it anywhere that I've been, that there's going to be a split. If Bernie Sanders gets screwed for the second time. I feel that all those individuals are going to sit home come election day. Uh, Very possible. There will be a large, uh, there will be a measurable percentage of them who will sit home. There'll be another measurable percentage who would actually vote for President Trump. I've met some of these people, uh, spoken with them, the Bernie Bernie people, uh, and they 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 hate Biden. They hate the Democratic establishment. They hate the Democratic establishment more than they dislike President Trump. And in fact, they would compare Bernie to Trump. They say uh, a disruptor, somebody who's going to kick over the establishment. And they don't buy the identity politics either. I was I was kind of surprised when I heard that. It's like with Bernie, it's uh, these Bernie supporters like you know that whole identity politics thing is 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 stupid. It's it, it's it's not. It's a diversion. It's about the working people uh, versus the big uh, the the big business, the big corporate interests, and the big corporate interests work hand in glove with the Democratic Party establishment, the Republican Party establishment, and the Washington big government establishment. And we got to blow the whole damn thing up. That's their attitude, and. 
they uh, so some of them would actually vote for Trump, and I th- I think they did last time. I went to both conventions in 2016, and I saw that at the Democratic convention they were all carrying the no TPP signs, the no Trans Pacific <laughs> Partnership yeah. signs, and they uh, Hillary Clinton did not like seeing that because she was one of the biggest uh, pushers of that. She was a big pimp for the TPP. Oh yeah, well she's a she's a big uh, lover of China. Curtis, can you just give me a couple seconds just for uh, uh, intermission? Um, this show is sponsored by Students for a Better Future, and we have to congratulate and, and, and give our appreciation to our show writer, Doreen, who's really a big force on our show. Great job, Doreen. Okay, back to, um, to um, the elections. How about blue-collar white women in uh in the election or suburban women uh where do you see trump getting those votes i see him building support there again there's a couple of things we've seen in our focus groups and our survey research that we've done is there's a, a one one of the things is a lot of people say, I don't like his personality. I wish he didn't tweet so much. I, I don't like his <laughs> tweets. I wish he weren't so abrasive. But I like his poli- His policies have been good. He's doing the right things. He's right. doing the right things. I just don't like the way he says it. And then when push comes to shove, well, who would you vote for? Would it be Biden or Trump or Bernie or Trump? Or, you know, uh, this is earlier in the primary, had all the other candidates on the other side. They always voted for Trump. They always said I'd have to vote for the president. The bigger picture, though, pulling back from the macro is, look, suburban women want the same thing that everybody else wants. They want to know that their family, that there will be an income for the family, that they, their kids will have a decent education and have a shot at college and a shot at a good job when they graduate college. The kids are going to move out of the basement. They're not going to be living with them when they get out of college. They want security. They want safety. They want, they want to know the country is safe and will be protected. This virus pandemic uh, heightens the fear, heightens the fear factor right. uh, and the security, the national security, the personal security. It makes it real. It's no longer this abstract threat of you know, Islamic terrorists, you know, some weird – some guy with a weird beard in another part of the world, you know – saying the great Satan, death to America, burn a flag. It's very much in your neighborhood, in your face. And in times of fear, and when you raise the fear factor, you want defense and you want security. And just looking at these two men, is Donald, who would you turn to for protection? Donald Trump or crazy old Joe Biden? I mean, that's, there is no contest there. And... I'm a political professional, and the research has been done. The sociological uh, research and the psychological research has been done that you can show people pictures of candidates. And the, 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 the tests have been done in Rochester, New York, where you show people the pictures of the two candidates running for, you know, school board or you know, state legislature in California. I mean, they have n- they, they know nothing about these people. 
but you just show them a still picture for 30 seconds, they can pick the winner 70 to 80% of the time. What this tells you is decisions are made on a gut level. Right. Gut. But, but Curtis, you, yes. Curtis, Joe, Joe, Joe uh, you know, Uncle Joe, you know, he's already on live, on a press conference, he, he actually endorsed President Trump. <laughs> yes, I heard that. I mean, it's nobody takes him seriously anymore. What I expect to happen, mm-hmm. you can you can take this, clip this, and let's see if it comes true. There's like a little mini time capsule here. Okay. It would not surprise me to see Joe Biden get nominated at the convention, which they're probably going to do in a hermetically sealed container somewhere. You know, out of sense of secrecy, or you know, they're going to put they're going to put him in a bubble, right? It's going to be an aquarium uh, with no audience, right? Because nobody wants to get the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, they're going to so he'll get nominated, and then after he's nominated, sometime between the nomination and November, they will he will step down from the ballot, and the party bosses will be able to put somebody else in at the top of the ticket. So we have to watch very carefully as to who he selects as his vice president. He said yep. he will select a woman. Uh, maybe that'll happen. Or maybe not. Maybe uh, Cuomo will get in there. But I think what Cuomo wants to do is he wants to see uh, Joe Biden swap. He wants to swap places with Joe. And the rule, the way the DNC rules are written, is he can, uh, they can pick somebody to replace Biden at the top of the ticket after the convention. Yep. Hey Curtis, we have we have 60 seconds now to go. Basically, I, I we we can we can go we can go, we can go on for many hours. But <laughs> I'd like to have you back on 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 the program, and um, thank you again for taking time to um, come on the show. Sure. Well, thank you, and thank you for everything you're doing. The students are the future of America. You know, I'm not going to be around. It's your country, you're, and, and I'm glad you're taking it in the right direction. And it's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Definitely. Be happy to come back. Likewise, and hey, be careful out there with the blast. You may be chasing you. Uh, that's right. I'm not going to let them chain me to the radiator. I'm going out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Good night. Good night. So that was Mr. Curtis Ellis. What a great conversation we've had with a um, great interview with um, Mr. Ellis. And he So we'll have another special guest next week on broadcast and policy with Cisco and Paul Stone Hour. It's a combination of both. All right. Good night. God bless. Have a good one.